Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Jerry's here, and uh, Stuff You Should Know. We've got the A-team yeah. in the house. Yeah. Not the Chuck uh, hologram. No. It's not guest producers, Matt or Noel. It's not Pocket Josh. Not Pocket Josh, although I do have a Pocket Josh on me. So he's here. He's always here. <laughs> that's a voodoo doll. No, it's not. It's clearly a voodoo doll. I, that's my hair. I recognize How's it. that back pain treating you? It hurts. <laughs> so bad. Uh, how's it going? Pretty good, except for the back pain. Oh, well, let me just massage your little Pocket Josh. How's and... it? Don't touch me, Chuck. Uh, I'm excited about this one. Our ongoing series on happiness. Yeah. We've covered it with uh, uh, Bhutan. Yeah, a gross national happiness. Yeah. And then we did our audiobook all about happiness. The super stuff guide to happiness. Yeah. And all that was, um, I guess, a holdover from, was it right before or right after the financial, global financial collapse? Mm, I feel like it was sort of in the midst of. Okay. Because I think what it was, was the world got cocky, especially the developed world. Sure. Like, hey, things are going so well. Yeah. We're all rich. Everybody's pretty happy. Yeah. We're at, we're at war with not one, but two countries at once. Look at us go. Yeah. Um, let's start talking about happiness and what makes <laughs> us happy. Yeah. Let's start blogs about how we try to be happy and enter it in once a day, every day, and then get a book yeah. deal out of it. Let's just think about happiness, 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 happiness. Well, a few years on, there's been some changes over time. Everybody's sad. People don't <laughs> talk about happiness anymore. Like there was a little while mm-hmm. where there was a period, basically from my impression, about 2005 okay. to 2009, yeah. where you could get substantial grants to conduct research into the nature of happiness, yeah. to quantify happiness. What makes people happy? What makes people unhappy? How to make people happier? Yeah. Um, and there was a, an offshoot of psychology called positive psychology, uh, that we talked about in yeah, the, yeah. the super stuff guide to happiness that said we're good at diagnosing, um, maladies. Yeah. Which physical maladies? No, like problems. Oh, okay. Psychological problems. Gotcha. But we're terrible at, um, how to make people happier. Uh-huh. So hence now we're going to have something called positive psychology, which appears to have fallen by the wayside. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Now it's all negative psychology. <laughs> well, psychology itself as a field is under tremendous amount of attack and sure. Positive psychology. I think they gave the chance to retreat. They're like, look, you're, you're a pretty easy target. Yeah. You should probably go. What do they say? Like the this flag. isn't even a real thing. I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, it was a valiant attempt. I think it just came in at the wrong time. But the 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 point is, if you look up happiness now, you will notice like just about everything cuts off in 2009. I did notice that actually. America doesn't care about being happy anymore. It's or maybe just, they just, just hanging on, studied and learned everything they need to know, and we're like, all right, here we are. Well, you know what? It's funny that you say that because if that's true, it, it, and you you could be right. Yeah. The, that represents them. Possibly the shortest amount of time any subject has ever been studied. <laughs> no, really. Yeah. Because it started in what makes people happy in maybe, I think, 2003. Oh, I yeah. read I read a study, and it was about how this was one of the first studies to ever try to figure out 
what makes people happy. So then this field of study existed from like 2003 to 2009. Yeah. And the, they were saying that the reason that this would be the first study is because it's been so accepted for so many years, ever since uh, Hume, the philosopher Hume, David Hume, Robert Hume, the Scottish philosopher, he's one of my favorites. Just if you were on Jeopardy, you could just say Hume. Hume. We'll go with Hume. Yeah. Um, Who is Hume? Well, if you were on Jeopardy. He was a Scottish philosopher. No, I'm just, I had to phrase it. Okay. I know. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Gotcha. Um, he said, he, he was one of the first people to mention this concept of what makes people happy insofar as what we're talking about today. Right. Which is, does an object make you happier or does an experience make you happier? Yeah, I think they'd done like the lottery studies before 2004, like if lottery winners. Yeah. But um, that's a pretty specialized study. Yes. So to tr- my point is to try to quantify happiness yeah, and that yeah. kind of thing and really sure. I- investigate it. Yeah. But it started in the early 2000s and ended by the mid-2000, the first decade of the 2000s. Yeah. Well, while I'm reading all these studies, I'm looking 07, 08, 04. Yeah. Very keen observation. And I can't quite figure out, I mean, obviously, I think the Great Recession is almost entirely responsible for that falling to the wayside. But if you look still today, there's there are still related studies. It's just not happiness studies. Yeah. I found when I was reading this, I disagreed with a lot of these findings and studies. They They didn't seem fully fleshed out, did they? Well, for instance, we'll go ahead and start with this supposed fact. Uh, researchers have done some studying and they have pinned down uh, how long a material object can will make you happy. And they say between six and 12 weeks, mm-hmm. uh, then you get uh, bored with it, basically. Right. I just don't know about that because it, it wholly de- to me, it wholly depends on what the object is. Mm-hmm. If it's something that gives you ongoing pleasure, like a guitar, let's say. Yeah. Because that is also an experience. It's right. an object, but... Like, I will love my guitars till I die because I play them and enjoy it and play them with my friends. Right. You know? Yeah, and, and what you're talking about... Like the I, gift that keeps giving. Right, exactly. That's called um, uh, active uh, engagement. Okay. It is a it, it is a, a purchase. And when we say purchase, we're not talking about necessarily just an object. Sure. Which we'll talk about in a little bit. You can also... You purchase experiences as well. Yeah. In fact, they say that's the way to go. Right. So there's a, a happiness purchase is what we're saying. Yeah. And your guitar that you purchased, that's an object. Yeah. But you purchased it, but it's making you happy you know, over and over and over again. The reason why is because you become actively engaged in it. And active engagement in anything that is positive or that makes you happy yeah. can continue to make you happy for longer than, say, another object that doesn't actively engage you, like a pair of shoes that you wanted really, really bad and then got. Oh, and then like sit in your closet because you don't wear them anymore? Because after, well, you may still wear them, but you're wearing them as shoes. You're not wearing them like I'm, I'm the king of Rotterdam here. Check out my <laughs> shoes. You know, it, that, that kind of thing that lacks active engagement, uh-huh. that lacks social interaction and yeah. that lacks exercise. And those are the three, those are the big three things yeah. that you can buy objects wise that kind of sit outside of that six to 12 week, um, happiness. Adaptation is what it's called. Okay. Um, so yeah, you kind of nailed it right there with the guitar. It's not just guitar. Yeah. Video games are another good example. Yeah. Like you buy your PS3 and mm-hmm. you may get sick of some of the games, but they're always releasing new games. Right. Um, if you bought a, uh, uh, um, 
a language module. Yeah. You learn a language yeah. or something, you sure. know? I mean, like, it's, you're, it's something that actively engages you, something that, that you use for exercise or something that leads to social interaction. Okay. Are the three object types that make you happier longer. Well, that makes me feel better then. And, um, that whole six to 12 weeks though, whether that's a, uh, a, an accurate number or not though, Chuck, um, remember we talked about the hedonic treadmill? Yeah. It's evidence of the hedonic treadmill. There's this thing called, um, hedonic adaptation. Yeah. And that is that something that makes you happy isn't going to make you happy forever. Some, yeah. Something you've purchased, pretty much whatever it is. Yeah. You're going to eventually subsume it into your everyday life. You're going to end up taking it for granted, basically, is another way to put it. Yeah. How long, how short that happens or how long that happens is, um, it definitely differs depending on the type. And we'll talk about the type in a minute. But what people end up getting on once, once an object stop makes, stops making them happy. Yeah. They still want to be happy. So they end up on the hedonic treadmill. They buy another pair of shoes. Right. And then another, and then another, and then another. And you end up just trying to keep pace, buying all this stuff, accumulating all of this material stuff. And it's just kind of keeping you at a, a steady pace of happiness without any kind of real enrichment. And that's the hedonic treadmill. Yeah. And that's materialism. Um, which they've done studies on materialism. There was one by, uh, these uh, dudes, Chaplin and John, in 2007, where they linked it to low self-esteem, mm-hmm. generally from childhood. Like, you're sort of always trying to gain your self-esteem through material objects. Right. Uh, they've linked it to narcissism. Yeah. Uh, people who try to build themselves, like, up through having, you know, fancy things and showing them off. Yeah. And there's the, I mean, that's, that is a real um, technique that people use to... Establish their identities, establish yeah. their worth to others. And it's a, ironically, it's a cheap and easy way to do it. Sure. It may be very expensive dollar wise, but you don't have to put a tremendous amount of thought or effort into it. You just go buy the most expensive, most obvious, uh, obviously expensive item you can. Yeah. And wear it out and broadcast it and get your sense of self-worth from that. So it is a very shallow thing, materialism. I think everybody kind of knows that intuitively. Yeah. But it's been studied. You know, like it, it is linked to all these kind of um, personality disorders. There's a guy named Russ Belk who's a marketing researcher, and he was the first one to really research materialism. Owner of the Belk uh, chain of stores? I, I wonder. <laughs> and he, uh, he found it to be a character trait marked by envy, non-generosity, and possessiveness. Yeah, materialism is so hard to define for me, though, because it's like a guitar is a material object and a nice guitar is, I don't know, I, I, I definitely not materialistic, I don't think, but I want a nice guitar because it sounds awesome. Sure. And looks cool. I, but I think that that's why, like, Belk and Chaplin and John went to the trouble of, like, kind of investigating it. It's like, do you, do you have, like, a, a, a clinically flawed personality? Uh, that's based on your desire for material objects. Yeah, but see, like, it's all personal. Like, I might think it's material to go out and buy a pair of uh, $800 shoes, mm-hmm. but the person might get a lot of joy out of those shoes and say, I think it's stupid to go pay $1,000 for a guitar. Sure. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what I'm saying. You, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I think you raise a good point, and it's, it, it's valid because... 
there that the research isn't that deep. Yeah. I mean, you could be exactly right. And I think it's, it's so subjective too. Yes. And not only is this whole, you know, the findings subjective, the reportings are subjective too. Like there's a study in, in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, in 2009, the last year that happiness was ever studied. <laughs> the last year happiness mattered. Um, and basically this, uh, this group had 154 college students. Yeah, it's pretty small. Fill out a, a survey. They said that we want you to pick, um, uh, we want you to write down a, a little bit about an object yeah. that you purchased to make you happy in the last three months or an experience that made you happy in the last three months. That you purchased. Yes. Which is important to d- distinguish that. Right. Because you, you can have free experiences, too. You can. Yeah. And and we'll get to that. Yeah. But the college students um, self-reported that the at the time of the purchase, the experiences made them happier, and the happiness lasted longer than the ones who reported an object made them happy. Yeah. I mean, every study pretty much confirms experiences over material objects. Yes. The, the My point is, is it was self-reported. Yeah. So sure. it's subjective right out of the gate. And that's the problem with studying things like happiness. It's it's an emotion, which is subjective. And then it was also a, a small sample of college students, a um, homogenous group. And yeah, what do they know? Uh, nothing. They don't have money for anything. <laughs> no, but there's this um, acronym for college, for studies like that. It's weird. It's Western educated, uh, something rich and democratic. Oh, really? Yeah. I can't remember what the I what is, the I? but weird. It's, it's, and it's saying like, there's a lot of studies out there that people rely on that are weird that the population sample are like 18 to 21 year old, right? You know, fairly well off Western kids. Right. Like, what does that really tell us? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this is an example of that. Uh, I saw another study that I thought was interesting as far as objects go. Um, like, like we said, across the board, it's, they pretty much have said experiences purchased or free mean more to someone in the long run than an object. Mm-hmm. But, um, when it comes to spending on objects, uh, this one study did find that spending on others across the board, even on an object is, <clears throat> brings more happiness than spending on yourself for an object. Yeah. Um, and in fact, uh, People were assigned to spend money in one of these studies, and they experienced greater happiness than people assigned to spend money on themselves. Like, here's a hundred dollars, go buy yourself something nice, or here's a hundred bucks, go buy someone else something nice. People were happier that bought something for someone else, which I right. thought was interesting. And that's you were saying that's like the case with objects and experiences as well. Uh, I think that was just objects, right? Okay, but I would say it probably holds true for experience. Like, you take someone out to dinner. You feel good about it. Sure. So what you, what you have there is you're spending on another person. Yeah. It's there, it's fostering social interaction, which is another key. Huge. And it's an experience. Yeah. In so fact, like, they that's say pretty that, much like you couldn't get happier than that. Yeah. The social thing is kind of the key to all of this, they say, <clears throat> because generally your experience happiness is usually not alone. Like you'll go to a concert with someone or to mm. dinner with someone. Right. Right. But um, but not always. Right. And not always is a pretty good little buzz term for this part of the podcast because yeah. um, y- there's also research that shows that objects can bring more happiness than experiences depending on the experience. Like for a long time, oh, the yeah. literature just basically said experiences make you happier than objects. What if it's crappy? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And these researchers found that um, 
a, a an unhappy experience, yeah, especially one that was meant to be happy. Like, let's say you went on a cruise or you went on a vacation and it just sucked. Yeah. Like that, that compared to an object that's supposed to make you happy, that object's going to beat that experience. Yeah. And you're going to have that uh, bad memory of the experience longer, too. Yeah. You know, what else I think I haven't seen pointed out is you can't, you can't get your money back on a bad dinner and play. Yeah, that's true, too. But if you get an object and you're like, this stinks, you can usually return that. Right. Unless you took a bite out of it already. Yeah. That's a good way to say it. But you can't, you know what I'm saying? Like you take a vacation that ends up being a disaster. I, I would be more upset about that because it's like you've lost your money. You're going to have this bad memory. But if you buy some stupid thing, you can like just resell it or on Craigslist or send it back. Sure, right. You know? And um, th- so that's that's one distinction between materials, and, uh, I guess, objects and experiences. Yeah. Um, and we should give a shout out to Sartre here. Who? Sartre. Sartre. Oh, yeah. Jean-Paul Sartre. The philosopher, um, who is kind of credited with really introducing this concept or codifying it into the mainstream. To start, there were three paths to happiness or three types of happiness. There was, um, having, doing, and being. Yeah. And being we're not even talking about in this one, but having and doing, um, materialism and experientialism. Um, Sartre in the fifties, I think, uh, just kind of introduced this into the literature and that, Ultimately, is what kicked off the, the this kind of study into which one's better, which one makes you happier. Yeah, and I like how you you wrote this, right? Mm-hmm. I like how you point out about Buddhism how they feel that uh, material objects actually get in the way of happiness. Not only may they not bring you happiness, but they will prevent it. Sure, and it's not just Buddhism. It's um, for centuries, it's just basically been accepted that an object is less desirable if you're seeking happiness yeah. than an experience. Yeah. And it's it, it that's why the the researchers were saying um you know we're one of the first studies to to conduct an, an investigation into this because it's just been generally accepted that that's the case but no one knew exactly why. Yeah. So now we've kind of reached the why parts. And one of the things you said is um you can't take an experience back. All right. Hold on to that thought. Let's take a quick message break, and we'll get back with the why. Okay. Chuck. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but the cost of a stamp just went up to 49 cents. Whoa. But not if you have stamps.com, buddy. Oh, yeah? Yeah. With stamps.com, you'll pay less for postage than you would at the post office. For first-class mail, priority, priority express mail packages, and more. Well, buddy, it's awesome and convenient. Super easy to use. With stamps.com, you can buy and print discounted stamps, shipping labels, and more using your own printer and computer right there at home. And not only will you save money with Stamps.com, Chuckers, by not paying full price for postage, you'll save valuable time, too. Stamps.com always keeps the rates up to date, so you'll get the exact postage you need every time right from your desk. And here's the best part. You may never have to go to the post office again. That sounds good to me. So right now we have a very special offer. You can use our promo code STUFF for a no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes a digital scale and up to $55 in free postage. That's right. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in S-T-U-F-F. That's Stamps.com. Enter stuff. Okay. So why? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you mentioned that uh, objects, uh, you can take an object back. Sure. You can't take an experience back. Yeah. 
one of the big differences that researchers came up with is that with experiences, you can, because you can't take them back, they're kind of esoteric. Yeah. They're also more subject to revision, right? Yeah, sure. So you can, you can think back to an experience and over time pump it adopt, up. Uh, pump it up, yeah. alter it slightly, um, make it more meaningful, whatever. Um, you're just kind of adding to it. You remember when we, um, did that thing on memory? We researched memory and yeah, it's yeah. like every time you bring up memory, you kind of add to it when you store it away. It's different. It's sure. altered in one way. Well, you're remembering an experience. You're not remembering an object because you have the object in your hand and you're right. shaking it and you're like, why don't you make me happy anymore? What yeah. happened to you? I wanted this, this object so bad and, yeah. you know, and, and now it's whatever. And the reason why is because it's, part of your present and experience is part of your past. It can be your immediate past, your distant past, whatever. And that is subject to revisionism, which is one of the reasons why they think that when you especially self-report yeah. what makes you happier, you're probably going to go with an experience. Yeah, and I'm kind of that way. I think a lot of people, even with bad experiences later on, you might think, uh, oh, you know, it was bad at the time, but we also, we laugh about it now, or you know how you can reframe bad experiences or if you're like super on the ball in the moment you can say you know maybe we'll be laughing at this in 10 minutes oh yeah like you know some terrible vacation like right i have fun memories about bad experiences and i don't think it's revisionism i think it's uh just time and maybe at the time you're not looking at the positives you know Right, because your your genes are expressing all sorts of horrific things that are making you so mad, you yeah. know. Um, but once the genes go back to normal, yeah, things kind of take on a different cast. Like, for instance, uh, we went on a big group camping trip like five or six years ago. A bunch of us. Um, my dog got in a fight with my friend Justin's dog. It mm-hmm. poured down rain, and it was the worst camping trip I've ever been on. But now we look back at it, and we laugh, and we remember the midnight dance party we had in the rain and we made the best of it but at the time we were all like man i gotta get out of here this is miserable so you know what i'm saying yeah like i look back on certain miserable experiences and kind of laugh about them yes there aren't many awful experiences unless it involves like you know something really bad right and like life-changing like i don't look back at like the death of a relative and say you know that was really pretty fun though I thought that that dress they buried her in was horrible, but <laughs> yeah. now it's hilarious. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, you can't do that with an object. No, you can't do that. And even if you say, well, I remember when I was eight, I got this awesome um, Castle Grayskull playset, yeah. and it was the bomb, and yeah. I was so happy. Um, what you're doing right there is remembering an object, which is significant, but it's sort of the experience of having it, though. Exactly. Yeah. That's the big distinction. And I don't think anybody in the literature has done a very good job or did a very good job over that six-year period uh, when happiness was studied of explaining that. That when you're talking about materialism versus experientialism, objects versus experiences. Yeah. Like, you're talking about the object itself and not your propensity to generate memories and experiences through the object. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of confusing and cluttering, frankly. It is. But it's an important point. Uh, there's a book out. People love writing books about this stuff, too. Yeah. Selling them for eight ninety five. Right. you know, online. 
Uh, Elizabeth Dunn and Michael Norton wrote one called Happy Money, The Science of Smarter Spending. <laughs> uh, and they tracked down some key principles. Um, they, they obviously say experiences are more valuable than objects, but they break it down further and give you some advice like uh, you should buy an experience, first of all. You should make it a treat, which means... You know, it makes it more special if you limit your access to these things. Uh, and I get that. If you go to like some really fancy restaurant, it's great. But if you go like every week, you're kind of like, all right, I'm kind of sick of, sick of this place. For sure. That's you know? the hedonic treadmill. Exactly. Um, they say you should buy time, which I'm not fully sure I understand what that means. You go to another human being and say, I would like to purchase one to two years of your life. Um, <laughs> And you just put it onto my little watch here. I'm okay. going to take it from your watch. <laughs> How much do you want? And then they give you some of their life. Oh, okay. Uh, and then they say to invest in others, which goes back to that original study I was talking about. And then pay now and consume later. And that delayed consumption leads to increased enjoyment. Which, oh, yeah, which is the opposite of um, uh, one of the tenets of materialism. Like immediate you get gratification. It exactly. Yeah. And then you pay now. Apparently, people who are... Um, um, I guess registered materialists. <laughs> I don't remember how they quantified it. RMs figured it out in the um, in the study. But the people who are materialistic have um, more credit cards. Yeah, typically have uh, at least one loan of a thousand dollars or more outstanding. Sure. Um, it, it's just kind of a. Not only does it lead to, or is it associated with character flaws? Yeah. It also has other pitfalls and pratfalls associated with it too, like debt. Yeah, and that's the exact opposite. That's consume now, pay later. Exactly. Whereas pay, the other is like tantra, and this is like uh, whatever the opposite of tantra is. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the the uh, there's this kind of unspoken or very rarely spoken indictment of material culture, um, and that. Uh, well, I ran across this one quote. It's called, it said, consumer materialism is a degrading outcome of untrammeled marketing power. That it's kind of like yeah. you have people who possibly have low self-esteem, low self-worth, and are looking for a way to generate their own identity. Right. Uh, who are more highly susceptible maybe to being marketed to. Like, if you drink this liquor, you're going to turn into a lion and own the bar you're in, no matter what your salary is. As yeah. long as you can afford a bottle of this, right? No matter how much it puts you out, you're gonna you're gonna be awesome. Your friends are gonna be awesome. And some people say, like, I need to feel awesome right now, yeah. And I'm willing to shell out fifty bucks for that, and uh, I'm gonna do it. And uh, who knows? Maybe it does pump them up a little bit. Hopefully, though, ideally. If it does pump them up, yeah. it pumps them up to a level where they realize that materialism isn't going to make them happy. What about a facelift that's neither an object nor an... I guess the experience is having the new face. Though. Apparently, plastic surgery um, people are reported to people have... Plastic surgery people? They, they are reported to have longer lasting happiness. That yeah. um, hedonic adaptation takes way longer for plastic surgery than other, I guess, uh, purchases. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, going back to the whole lottery thing, I think everyone knows that all the studies generally point to it's like a baseline happiness. Objects can make you happy in the moment, but mm -hmm. with lottery winners, they did find out repeatedly that they generally go back to their baseline happiness from before they had the dough. Yeah. And I would say that's the case for most of these studies. It's not about how happy you are in a moment or even in a given experience or holding an object, but eventually you're going to return to 
the schmuck that you are. You're either happy or you're not. Right. You know? Remember when we did our Super Stuff Guide to Happiness, there was that um, one of the founders of transhumanism who was saying, like, we need to figure out how to ratchet up everybody's base level happiness. Yeah, like even with pills and things, right? Or genetic um, manipulation or whatever. He's like, whatever it takes, that's one of the things that should be a pursuit of humanity is making everyone happier by nature. I don't like that. Yeah. I, I think you said the same thing in the super yeah. stuff guide, yeah. Yeah, because I, I think pathos is valuable, you know? Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure we made that point. Yeah. It seems like something you would say, and I'd be like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do. I think it's valuable to the human experience. I yeah. think it's uh can do you a lot of good to be uh, briefly depressed. Yeah. and Well, here's an example of that. Um, this The Great Recession. Since the Great Recession... Teenagers have been reporting um, less desire for material objects Good. than the teenagers from a decade before. Right. Um, they're like, were, but you're not talking about my smartphone, right? Everything were, but that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, they were saying like they they um, they were scoring on like materialism surveys. Yeah. As less materialistic than their counterparts a decade before, and they were more likely to say things like, "I want a job that benefits society." Yeah. They were be- they were becoming less materialistic and more pro-social. And they were saying that that's a direct result of this great recession. So lessons learned. Yeah, your point that um, that depression of one way or one sort or another yeah. can be beneficial. It's uh, on a social societal level. That's true too. Apparently, huh. yeah, I dig it. Happiness, objects, or, or experiences. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I think objects. <laughs> yeah. Super shiny gold, golden. Sparkly objects. Yeah, just one last thing. I think you made a really good point. Like wanting a guitar, yeah, is doesn't make you a materialist. Okay, good. Like, you don't have to reject all possessions to be a good, grounded, normal, happy person. Yeah, you listen to our podcast on freegans. Yeah, dumpster diving. Think those people are happy? <laughs> I, th- I say yes. Yeah, and go check out our super stuff guide to happiness. It was very, very good. It's on iTunes. It's available on iTunes. Just Is it still there? Search that. Sure. Yeah, just blow the dust off of it. It's still relevant because sure. everything stopped in 2009. Uh, it was so interesting, too. Yeah, it was a good one. Uh, and if you want to learn more about objects or um, experiences, you can type those words in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and it will bring up this uh, article that we were working off of. And since I said uh, search bar, it's time for listener mail. Uh, all right, I'm going to call this grocery waste. Uh, we did our podcast on defridging, and we got a surprisingly lot of responses from people. Yeah. I was kind of surprised. It really hit home. Uh, so this is from a former grocery store employee uh, when he was in high school. He said, part of my job at the store was to find all the eggs, bread, and milk that had a sell-by date within the next three days. Uh, and it's really terrible because sell-by dates are designed with some wiggle room just to make sure nothing is spoiling before the date on the carton. Uh, when I had the cart loaded up with perfectly good food, I had to throw the bread and eggs into the garbage compactor and pour all the milk down the drain. Dozens of gallons a night. Mm. It's just like maddening, isn't it? Uh, I got with the local FFA teacher, whatever that is, and asked if Future all... Farmers of America. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Look at you. Uh, it's like I... 4-H. Oh, okay. Whatever that is. <laughs> It's uh, I don't remember what the four H yeah, stands for. I can't remember. Um, they asked if all this wasted food. Um, I asked if all the wasted food could be used to slop the pigs. See that the students were raising, and he said that'd be a great idea. So I went to the manager of the grocery store, said we should do this, and it might even be good PR for us. 
turns out the grocery store got back partial store credit uh, from their suppliers for expired food that they threw away. And here's the hitch. They would not get any credit if any of the expired food was put to any use. Isn't that awful? Yes. Uh, some suppliers would even refuse credit if they decided the store wasn't doing enough to prevent dumpster divers from retrieving food. Uh, what's worse, many foods that don't actually spoil for years and years, uh, but they have arbitrarily short sell-by dates because they found that people don't trust foods that have an expiration date too far into the future. Yeah, remember, didn't we talk about, oh, I did a brain stuff on water going bad, and it's like there's no reason for it to have an expiration date. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, so he says, thus I spent one memorable evening throwaway throwing out hundreds of dollars worth of cheese oh, man. that was a known danger of spoiling anytime soon. Uh, I even asked if I could take some home, and they said that that would be considered shoplifting. <laughs> wow. So uh, I don't see food waste being addressed until it becomes a matter of public outrage on the level of sweatshop labor. There are just too many economic barriers in the way. Uh, and that is from Todd from OKC. Thanks, Todd. And that is just his store. We heard from other people. Some stores have different policies where they can actually put some of that food to use, but I don't think that's the norm. No, and we heard from another guy, too, who was fired because he got so tired of throwing stuff away. He took a bunch of baguettes to a homeless shelter, and they found out about it, and he was fired because of it. Oy vey. Um But he said he didn't regret it still to this day. Good. Good for him. Yeah. Um, thanks, Todd, from OKC. I would say go Thunder, but go Heat instead. <laughs> uh, if you want to get in touch with Chuck or me or Jerry, um, you can send us a tweet our handle is SYSK Podcast with the little at symbol ahead of that. We're on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. Check us out there. Um, you can check out our YouTube channel, Josh and Chuck. That's the name of it. You'll love it. Um, you can also send us a regular old email, stuffpodcast at discovery.com. And join us at our home on the web. It is awesome. StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. With over 100,000 titles to choose from, Audible.com is a leading provider of downloadable digital audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. Go to AudiblePodcast.com slash NoStuff, K-N-O-W-S-T-U-F-F, to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today.